I know you've probably heard these slogans before, uh, something to the effect, again, you see the title of this lesson, All Talk and No Action. You know, uh, there was a country song by Toby Keith, a little less talk and a lot more action, right? Or, um, you know, actions speak louder than words. You know, that was kind of the slogan that was in my high school uh, basketball locker. You know, when we went out to play, you know, we'd slap that sign that said, actions speak louder than words. Or, you know, maybe you've heard someone say, you know, words are from the lips, but actions are from the heart. Or uh, Mark Twain is quoted as saying, actions speak louder than words, but not nearly as often. You know, I think that's pretty good, right? The actions speak louder than words, but not as often. You know, we don't uh, act as, uh, upon those things as we, we should as much. But Benjamin Franklin, this one's probably the one that I like the best. He said, a well done is better than a well said. Again, a well done is better than a well said. And, and the Bible also uh, reiterates that those uh, types of slogans, if you will. Uh, you know, James chapter 1, verse 22, of course, tells us to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Uh, 1 John 3, verse 18, John writes, Let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. Again, uh, not just being all talk, but uh, being uh, action as well. But words are powerful, aren't they? The Proverbs writer in Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Right? Words have the ability to create and to destroy. We use words to benefit us, right? to get things that we want and desire, outcomes we long for. But however, you know, sometimes words are just not enough. Right? Think of a funeral service. You know, there are no words that you could say uh, that, could use, that could help the family that's in need. As a preacher, when you, you preach a, a, a sermon at a funeral service and they ask you to go stand at the head of the casket and people walk by, right? there are no words that you can say to help uh, people, really, you know, or an apology. Maybe you've done some great harm to somebody, to, uh, to another individual, and you've hurt them deeply, right? And you want to apologize and you try to apologize, but again, maybe there are just no words that can do that. When we get to the book of Judges tonight, uh, the book of Judges is one of the most fascinating books to me in the Old Testament. Sometimes I'll tell people it's my favorite Old Testament book, you know, studying the lives of Samson and, and Japheth and, uh, and Gideon and those other judges. But sometimes I read it and I get so frustrated with the book. I, I get disgusted uh, with the book. And, and, and if you recall the book of Judges, it's this series of cycles, just one after another, uh, of, of the people are in ease, right? Things are going good for them. And so then they, they, they forget about God. You know, they get complacent. They forget about God. And then because of that, they start to disobey God. And because of that, then they go into slavery, right? And because they're in slavery, now they're crying out to God. And uh, God delivers them by sending a judge to them. And when they're delivered, right, they're back up top here. And, and it's, things are going easy again. And just in the book of Judges, it just keeps going like that over and over again. The cycle continues to repeat. We know the book of Judges, of course, takes place right after the book of Joshua. Right? Jo- Joshua is about going in to the land of Canaan, taking possession of the land. But we know that they didn't drive out all of the inhabitants of the land that God would have them to drive out, that they were supposed to. And so because of that, throughout the years, they're influenced by those, the, those pagan nations that were in the land around them. Right? And so they would start to dabble with idolatry and you know, child sacrifice and sexual immorality, all of those things that God wanted clear of the land, but remain because they didn't get all of it out. And then we get to the very last verse in the book of Judges. Right? The very last verse tells us everyone did 
what was right in his own eyes. Right? And, and that's, that's the book of Judges. And so we see this cycle of chaos over and over again. Right? They're oppressed until they cry out to God. God raises up a deliverer, a judge, and this judge rescues them, and then they have rest. And again, we see that cycle over and over again. So by the time we get to Judges chapter 10, which we're going to study tonight, starting in verse 6, there's been about seven judges uh, that, that God has raised up, right? So that means about seven cycles uh, of this, uh, you know, again, this, this apostasy uh, to uh, being delivered from a judge. And so we've got about 250 years that have passed uh, with these seven judges. And we get to Judges chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. And the last judge that judged the land was a, a judge by the name of Jer. And we don't know much about him, right? There's only a couple of verses about him. But times are good and easy, right? As he has been judging the land. But again, that cycle is about to begin, isn't it? And Israel is now going to go into suffering, into oppression for about 18 years because they have, uh, they have left God. They have been disobedient to him. And before the next judge... Jephthah is raised up to deliver Israel. We're going to notice a few things uh, in this cycle uh, before uh, the next judge is raised up that I think will be helpful to us. Right? It will help us to, again, understand what God looks in our lives uh, when it comes to sin, when it comes to repentance, and what God wants us to do. So let's uh, begin here in Judges chapter 10, starting in verse 6. And notice here it says, then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, served the Baals and the Ashtoreth, the gods of Aram and the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the sons of Ammon and the gods of the Philistines. Thus they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the sons of Ammon. They afflicted and crushed the sons of Israel that year. For 18 years they afflicted all the sons of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in Gilead in the land of the Amorites. The sons of Ammon crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and Benjamin and the house of Ephraim so that Israel was greatly distressed. So again, you notice as the cycle begins, right? Things were going easy. Now they've become disobedient and God has sent these, these nations to come and to... Uh, to uh, punish them, right? And we see that the anger of God was kindled against Israel. And again, he uses enemy nations to oppress his people. Why would God do that? Right? A God of love and mercy and grace, why would he turn his people over to the enemies of them, right? Why would he watch the, his people suffer? Well, we know in other passages in Scripture, especially you know, when God gives out those Ten Commandments, that he says that you shall have no other gods before me. And that God is a jealous God. And he doesn't like it when he sees that his people are tinkering uh, and worshiping with these other gods of the, of the people of the land. Right? He told them in Exodus chapter 23, verse 34, uh, that, that I will protect you from the people of the land. If you don't go into the idolatry and the abominations that they practice, I will protect you. Serve no one else. Right? Bow down to no one else. Be obedient and I will bless you. Right? Be my people. Be my holy people. Uh, be different from the world, and I will bless you. But of course, they fail at this time and time again. They become like the people around them. And friends, God, as we learn in this passage, God hates sin. The Psalm chapter 5, starting in verse 4, it says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You, ate, you hate all 
who do iniquity. I think we understand that verse, right? That God hates iniquity. But friends, we know our, our world doesn't hate sin, right? It doesn't turn from it, but in many cases, it, it runs to it. It glorifies the very thing that our Heavenly Father hates. And if we're not careful, you know, we can do that as well, right? Well, sometimes we'll think, well, maybe I'll just, maybe just this one time. I know this is sinful, but, you know, just this one time, it can't hurt just one time. Or, or you know, it, this is a little sin, right, compared to some things in Scripture. It's little compared to this greater sin. Of course, you know, God's not going to judge me as much for that. But God hates sin, and his people ought to hate sin. You know, I, I learned that from this passage here. I don't want to be part of sin. I, don't want, I want to be removed from it. But then... We, we, but then we live like the world does, right? And sometimes we'll, we'll get caught up in the moment and we'll laugh at things that the world laughs at and we'll, we'll participate in the things that the world participates in. And before we realize it or not, we're not hating sin, but we're glorifying it. We're practicing it. We're participating in it. God hates sin and he will also deal with sin, you remember all these different accounts in the Old Testament? You know, we, we won't dive into all of these, but you remember Nadab and Abihu, right? The sons of Aaron, these priests who are going to, you know, they, they go and they offer this, what we're told is strange fire, this unauthorized fire in their worship. And you remember what, Ad, what happened to Nadab and Abihu because of that? God struck them dead, right? Fire came down and consumed them. Because they sinned, because they didn't follow God's commands. We could think of Moses in Numbers chapter 20. Moses was told to, you know, to speak to the rock, to provide water for the children of Israel. And you remember what Moses did? Now, some people say it was a prideful thing. Some people say it was out of frustration. But Moses didn't speak to the rock as he was instructed to. He struck the rock. Not just once, but twice he struck the rock. And God told Moses, listen, now because you disobeyed my commands... You can't enter into the promised land, right? Because Moses sinned, he wasn't able to go into the promised land. You know, we think of in Acts chapter 5, remember Ananias and Sapphira, right? Those two people in the early church that sold a piece of land and they brought the money to the apostles' feet. But, of course, they sort of lied about the money that they were bringing to them. And again, because of that sin, both Ananias and Sapphira lost their lives, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 reminds us, the wages of sin is death. Right? The wages of sin is death. In Israel, as we've noticed here in Judges chapter 10, they were being punished 18 long years with an oppressor. All of those different pagan lands that we read about were oppressing Israel because of the sins that they were committing. But friends, as, as bad as that sounds, Right, being in um, 18 years of captivity, 18 years of oppression, that's nothing compared to the spiritual death that Paul is talking about there in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. God deals with this sin. He takes it seriously. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 7 and 9, Paul describes that when Jesus returns, he's going to return uh, with, with his angels and flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that they will suffer eternal destruction away from the Lord. Again, sin is no big deal in our society, but to our Lord, he hates it. He can't stand it. He can't be around it, and he will deal with it. And friends, we can never... Forget that. So the point, first point we want to notice is that God takes sin seriously. 
Number two, follow along as I begin in verse 10, Judges chapter 10. Then the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, for indeed we have forsaken our God and served the Baals. The Lord said to the sons of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, the Amorites, the sons of Ammon, and the Philistines? Also, when the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the, the, the Moanites oppressed you, you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hands. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will no longer deliver you. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your distress. The sons of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. Point two that we want to notice here tonight is that God expects repentance and not just words. Right? Did you notice in that passage that Israel confessed their sins? But notice God's response was different than before. Right? In the past, I told you that he would send a deliverer. He would send a judge. You know, God reminded them in those passages that, uh, you remember when I uh, rescued you from uh, these people and from these people? But this time it's going to be different, he says there. This time it's going to be different. Let them deliver you. Go cry out to those gods that you've been serving. They, let them deliver you. But they confess there in verse 15. We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you, but only please deliver us this day. Is confession a good thing? Well, yes, absolutely it is. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Or 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. And of course, James chapter 5 verse 16, we're told to confess our sins to one another. Is confession a good thing? Yes, of course it is. But we understand that God is not looking for confession alone. He is looking for repentance. Not just words, but actions. Right? He doesn't want us just to talk, but he wants action in our lives as well. He's looking for that godly sorrow in our lives. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God, that produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But it's the sorrow of the world that produces death, right? The sorrow of the world, just saying, I'm sorry, just to, you know, get out of trouble, right? That leads to death, Paul says, but it's the sorrow that is according to the will of God that produces salvation. Israel may have been remorseful, but it doesn't always seem that they were really repentant when we read through the scriptures. How many times as a parent, you know, have you had a child say something like, Take me to this place, please, please take me to this place. Or, or can I get that toy, you know, please? Uh, they continue to plead and they sweet talk you and they butter you up. And then they start to make promises too, don't they? Uh, I'll clean my room every day for you know, a week or for a month if I can just you know, go, go there or, or get that. But in the end, you know that it's all talk, isn't it? I mean, they're trying to manipulate you. They're trying to get you to fall for it. The way that they respond to their parents, you know, is what we do sometimes with God. Do we pray to God and ask him to forgive us of our sins? Well, we do, don't we? 
But sometimes we'll say, listen, God, tomorrow will be different. You know, I'm changing. I promise you tomorrow will be different. I won't do that ever again. But then we go back to the way that it's always been. Right? We're just simply talking. There's no action. In Psalm uh, 78, this is actually the second longest psalm. You know, psalm 119 is the longest. Psalm 78 is the second longest. So if you need a, a psalm to read tonight, uh, go ahead and read Psalm 78. But when you get to verses 36 through 39, and you know, as the psalmist is uh, you know, explaining here uh, about Israel's unfaithfulness in the, in the wilderness wanderings and in their exodus from Egypt and in the land itself, uh, notice what he says about the people, right? The thing that they continue to do over and over again, starting in verse 36. He says, But they deceived him with their mouth and lied to him with their tongue, for their heart was not steadfast towards him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. But he, being compassionate, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. And, and often he restrained his anger and he did not arouse all his wrath. Thus he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. And Asaph, who's writing this psalm, is reminding us over and over again how the people of Israel were all talk and no action. And so um, they, they flattered, they lied, their hearts were not steadfast, they weren't faithful, right? You can say the right things, right? You can say the right things, but words aren't always enough. But what kind of life are, are you willing to live? Because God is looking for changed lives, God is looking for more than words of confession. He's looking for hearts of repentance. You remember in Luke chapter 5 where you know, Jesus goes to Matthew's home, the tax collector, and he's eating with all the, you know, the other tax collectors there and some of the Pharisees and other religious leaders are, are talking to Jesus' apostles and disciples and say, what's he doing there? Why is he eating uh, with these sinners there? And you remember how Jesus said, um, you know, listen, the, the, the well, the, the, those who are not sick are in no need of a doctor, but it's those who are sick, right? I have come to call sinners to repentance, right? That's what Jesus was doing. I have come to call sinners to repentance, call, to call them to change their lives, right? Not for them to, to flatter me with words or, or to make up excuses, but that's the reason I'm here. I have come to call you to repentance, to change, in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, Paul says that God calls all men everywhere to repent. Well, why, Paul? Well, he tells us there because there's a day coming in which God will judge sin. Right? We may have some well-thought-out words this evening. You know, that when we stand before God uh, on that day of judgment, and again, again, confession is a good thing. Right? He wants us to make the good confession. But again, what God is looking for in our lives is not just confession, it's not just words, but he's looking for a changed life. He's looking for repentance. And so that's the second point we want to make in this account. And then finally, one more verse here in Judges chapter 10, verse 16. Notice that God wants to rescue us. I think this is such a powerful verse. Uh, Judges chapter 10, verse 16. This is what they did. So it says, so they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and he could bear the misery of Israel no longer. God was waiting for Israel to get it right. right? He wasn't just looking for words. He wasn't just looking for confession, but he was looking for action. We have failed. Right? Uh, they said to God, we have failed. 
Well, that's not what he was looking for. He was looking for them to say, we have failed and we are going to change. And change they did. They got rid. They put away those foreign gods among them. And they went back and served the Lord. Friends, he is waiting for his people to get it. Right? You and I, you know, we'll sometimes go to the Lord in prayer and says, forgive me of my sins. Right? Forgive me of my many sins. But that's not enough. Right? He wants us to ask for that, of course. Confess that, of course. But he wants repentance along with it. And notice again there in verse 16, the very last part of it. He says, he could bear the misery of Israel no longer. He couldn't take it any longer. Seeing his people struggle, being oppressed all those years. And guess what happens in the next chapter? He raises up a judge. He delivers his people. Guess what happens in chapter 13? He raises up another judge. He delivers his people. God loves you. He wants to rescue you from the pit of sin. It's his desire to free us from sin. Ephesians chapter 2. I love this verse here. uh, Starting in verse 3. Again, of of Ephesians chapter 2. And notice here as we get to this passage, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 3 and following. It says, Among them, uh, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as to the rest. But look at verse 4, but it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his grace, His great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You were dead in your transgressions, but, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved you, brought you out of that. He, he takes sin seriously. Right? Do we understand this about God? He takes sin seriously. He doesn't laugh at sin. He, he doesn't think it's a little deal. Right? Sometimes we might you know, be watching a television show and the, the person on the television show you know, might be um, an alcoholic. You, know, you think of the, the Andy Griffith show and um, you know, the name's slipping in my mind, but uh, there's that character, right, that he's always drunk. He's, uh, he's an alcoholic, right? And we, we look at that and we kind of laugh at that. We chuckle at that, don't we? But friends, God does not chuckle at that. Right? He, when he looks at that, he sees sin. Uh, he, uh, making fun of people, you know, behind their backs, slandering other people. Uh, God does not chuckle at that. Though we might get together with a group of friends and do that, God doesn't chuckle at that. God hates sin. He takes it seriously. These sins are, uh, we understand, put his son on the cross. He, and he wants us to take it seriously, to turn from it and to follow him. God is longing for us to turn from our rebellious ways and come home to him. And God says, I will rescue you and I will save you. And again, again, look at Judges uh, chapter 16, verse 10. Again, I, I just think this is such a powerful verse. Excuse me, verse 16. They put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. Right? They repented of their sins and he could bear the misery of Israel no longer. What a beautiful verse that is. See, there's no guarantee that you and I will have time to repent of our sins and prepare 
for the next life. Right? God is waiting for you to come back home, to turn around and to come back. And our sins could never be greater than the grace of God that he has offered. And this evening, as we offer the invitation, we ask tonight, is your heart right with God at this time? Again, actions speak louder than words. Don't just say you'll do better tonight. But, but confess, again, confession is good and it's needed. It's a starting point. But God desires more than confession. Are you all talk and no action this evening? Again, he told Israel, go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Go cry out to them. And he tells us today, depart from me. I never knew you. If we're going to live a life of sin, he'll say that to us one day. Depart from me. I never knew you. Don't leave tonight without being right with God. And if you need to repent tonight, if you need to make changes in your life, again, we urge you to do that before it's eternally too late. And maybe you're here this evening and you've never been baptized into Christ. You've never put Christ on in baptism. We would love the opportunity to talk to you about that, what that all means, and to assist you with that. We know, again, Jesus said, Mark 16, 16, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Or this evening, again, maybe there's sin in your life that, that you need to change from, that you want to change from, and you need the strength of this congregation to help you with that in your Christian walk. We would love the opportunity to help you with that as well. Because again, God takes sin seriously. God expects repentance, not just words, but he expects action as well. And he wants to rescue us. Just like that father in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, when he's coming home, the father is waiting. He is waiting for you to come home. And this evening, if we can help you with that, let us know. Together we stand and sing the song of encouragement.